Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, telling you to get over here. And yes, we've just had our Christmas special from 1995. Um, Not obviously our own Christmas special, Games Master's Christmas special from 1995. And it was a clip show. And it kind of got me thinking about what if we sort of looked back at some of our old clips from the podcast and then I didn't quite have time to put all of that together. So I thought maybe we'll just have a retrospective look at Mortal Kombat in Games Master because it's been a regular fixture of the series since Series 2. Like the very last episode of Series 2 was a Mortal Kombat challenge and it goes all the way through to Series 7. There's a Mortal Kombat challenge there. And I am by no means a Mortal Kombat expert. Ask me about the film, I know what I'm talking about. But it comes to the games and the mechanics of the games and the inner workings of the game, I needed an expert. And so I reached out to friend of the show, Ketchup, to talk about this. A uh, former Games Master contestant himself in Series 8. So we're going to break down all of the Mortal Kombat challenges throughout Games Master's history, including those ones in Series 7. And yeah, we've got a bit of a bonus towards the end as well. Now couple of notes uh yes i am doing this because ash was away for a week and uh we didn't get an episode recorded in time and i had to put this together quite last minute so massive thanks to catch up for showing up and actually doing this show i really do appreciate that the other thing as well is because of that slightly ramshackled nature i recorded my audio wrong uh yeah i wasn't in my usual setup i didn't have my usual mixer and as such i i just got it wrong so 
I sound fine. Uh, I'm being picked up by a different microphone. That's the problem. So you will hear me. Like, the audio is, is perfectly listenable. It's just not this wonderful, crisp audio you're currently enjoying in your ear holes right now. So apologies for that. However... I think you're really going to love this. I had a blast talking with Ketchup. He goes real deep on some of the beat-em-up lingo that I get a bit of a boner for. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. Ketchup, thank you so much for once again joining us on Under Consultation. It's my pleasure. It's uh, nice to have a reason to get up in the morning. You know, normally <laughs> a little bit of a night owl and stuff like that, but uh, good a reason as any, absolutely. So thanks for having me. No, no worries at all. We've had you on the show before when you were on Series 8, so we kind of covered your history with Mortal Kombat and with Games Master. But like, when we did that episode, we didn't really get to talk about much like Mortal Kombat on the show. You are a pro player on Mortal Kombat. So you've now watched through all the clips that I sent across to you. Um, just sort of broad strokes, like what were your big kind of takeaways of the, the evolution of, of Mortal Kombat throughout Games Master and the games playing of it? I really think that you, you get a real look at uh, kind of how the sort of everyday player really tackles a fighting game in general, maybe not even Mortal Kombat in particular. Um, but I think people's ability to do like special moves and stuff really started to get a little bit more active. I think it might have been a little bit more difficult, you know, if there were games that were in arcade only and maybe they didn't have a console port. I know it was very common for Games Master to do like the console port versions of them. I imagine it's far easier to capture uh, than, you know, <laughs> getting a hold of like an arcade machine, bringing it over, figuring out how the hell we're going to uh, hook this up to any kind of machine so we can see it properly. Um, but I just think that. Although, really, you didn't get anyone on the show that was, you know, I, I would, you would think like, you know, super duper high level player. It really wasn't the point of it. And to be fair, I mean, even even back then, uh, I'm not even sure there would have been people that were absolutely like phenomenally good at old Mortal Kombat's back in the day. Because uh, a, a lot of those kind of players that would sit and grind it out, uh, it was much more of an American thing back then whereas you know the culture and a lot of other places tended to stem a lot more from just play it have fun uh do what you can and, and really that was it so um no it's i i really love going back and watching the old games master episodes for games that i i because I'll, I'll specifically youtube like games master challenge and then like an old game that i used to play and more often than not there always was something there so you always get some kind of really fun challenge to watch and it just kind of takes you down memory lane i guess I, that's kind of it for me as well like when i watch uh like these old challenges and stuff particularly on mortal kombat stuff like i'm i'm the i'm at the same level of mortal kombat playing now as i was then so like i get a, a massive kick out of watching this because i do see like a lot of myself in the style of game playing on this a lot of punch a lot of kicks there's a lot of doing the same moves and stuff i mean Ash, like our general rule of thumb is never punch down on any of the the people on the show because I, we were a lot like them, particularly, you know, like, no one was camera ready or anything like that. Um, but like, yeah, Ash has always pointed out, I was like, man, if you tried to do any of these tactics with a pro player now, you'd be absolutely schooled on everything and they would just completely run rings around you. 
Well, we just have the uh, we have the miracle of hindsight these days. <laughs> We've had years and years and years and years and years to see how the game developed, see what the game looks like now. You know, when the game was in its prime time, and I was a kid, you know, back then. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been much better. So, uh, very much, it, it, it's one of those things that uh, I know. I know some people out there would probably like to go, "Oh, this is not very good. I'm very good at it now." It's like, yeah, mate, but it's twenty years later. Of course, you are. Exactly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> it kind of goes without saying. There's no point, you know. It's just um, people doing the best they can with the sort of limited time they had, I suppose. Because a lot of the times, those challenges existed because. Um, the games were quite new at the time, weren't they? So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like people had even less time to, to get familiar with it. So you have to really take it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll go through the, the challenges and stuff. Majority of the times we see Mortal Kombat on Games Master, the game's not out. Like, they're using just, like, a review board or whatever board they've got of it. Um, we've spoken to people who were on the show, and it was like, yeah, like, there was no cartridge in there. It was literally just a board sticking out the top of a SNES or a Mega Drive or whatever. <laughs> or, you know, it's a game that's brand new in the arcades and stuff that they've just brought in from, you know, their, their connections they've got around London. So, yeah, like a lot of times, it's purely the first time people played these games was on the day they arrived to shoot Games Master. And it was like, right, now go out there and be the best Mortal Kombat 2 player you possibly can be. That would actually happen the exact same here. Um, you know, if a, if a new game came out and you had, if you had two like super, super high level players in various games and there was a new fighting game camp come out and it doesn't play like anything at all and you give them no practice time, even a player of like a super high level would have the same problem absolutely we've seen it in the past where uh, a new game has happened there's a promotional thing going on they've got players come up and and have some exhibition matches but the players didn't have any practice so they don't really know the game they don't know how it works um and they kind of look like your average everyday player trying to tackle it you know the only difference is maybe they'll figure out a special move or two but uh lack of preparation and lack of practice time is the biggest thing that will cause those uh, cause those uh, unfamiliarities, I guess. So yeah, it really does happen uh, to everyone. But yeah, when it comes to the challenges, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was uh, some of the old sort of arcade games that I remember fondly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll dive into the, the, the first challenge here. Let's uh, head on over to Games Master and find out what our first challenge is. This is indeed a melancholy moment. The last challenge for this series of Games Master. But instead of wallowing in sadness, I decided to go out with a bang on the gory and unfeasibly violent arcade beat-em-up Mortal Kombat. You know the rules by now. The first person to achieve two victories wins the contest. Fight dirty. And uh, see you anon. This is from Series 2, Episode 26. This was right at the end of Series 2, the final episode. This is actually the final challenge of Series 2 as well. And... One of the things that me and Ash really loved about going back and watching this is the evolution, not just of game, but of Games Master itself. You know, Series 1 was a lot of Amiga games, uh, some NES games, and some sort of early Mega Drive games. Like the SNES wasn't out when Series 1 was on. And then you jump into Series 2, and it's like the first challenge is Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo. And then we get to our final challenge here, and it's Mortal Kombat in the arcade. And this is the arcade version of the game as well. And I suppose, like, what's you know, from sort of your perspective and sort of your, your, your expertise in the game, is that what's the difference between playing the game on the arcade and, and playing it in the home console? Uh, I think, honestly, um, a big thing can be responsiveness. Um, it was very, very common. And I'm not particularly sure about the first Mortal Kombat on, on home ports, because I know that they... Mortal Kombat's home ports, like for the very first game, 
they didn't really tend to go down too well. Uh, the Super Nintendo version's kind of notoriously not that great because it's heavily censored and um, the Mega Drive version, um, I can't remember if there's a code you have to unlock. I think there is. You do, code. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Abacab to get the... <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like, when it comes to the very first Mortal Kombat, it's very hard to beat the arcade version um, because whether it's performance, whether it's how fast it runs... Uh, for example, you know, like some of the old Mortal Kombat games, like Ultimate MK3, for example, actually tends to be a bit faster on 16-bit systems, um, to the point where characters are quite different. You know, the tier list for the 16-bit Ultimate MK3 and arcade Ultimate MK3 uh, is actually a little bit... Um, some characters are stronger uh, on the 16-bit version. I'm, I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, like Nightwolf, for example, uh, is considered much stronger on a 16-bit than he is in arcade. And he's really good in arcade anyway, so I guess that's that says a lot. Um, but when it comes to classic Mortal Kombat, it is very, very hard to beat the arcade versions. Uh, players will often always prefer playing the arcade. I think there's a, there's a level of authenticity to it, um, but I think it's just, it's just got the best performance. It has the most authentic, um, I guess, running speed, I guess we can say, because classic Mortal Kombat, if, I'm, if I recall, it's 54 frames a second. Uh, for all three of the classic ones. I don't know about MK4. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, for the first three, definitely 54. Uh, how did you find them watching this back then? So this is two, you know, brand new in the arcades. We've got Andy and Jim playing this game here as Sub-Zero and Raiden. Uh, how did you find like watching this back? It's actually pretty good um, because really like the special moves in Mortal Kombat 1 are quite simple. Um, so, you know, if you've got like Raiden and Sub-Zero, for example, they're quite easy to play. You know, Raiden is, it's down up for teleport. Two of his special moves don't even require a button press. So, you know, it's back, back, forward, it's down up. Uh, and then if you want to do a special move, it's down, forward, low punch, if I recall. And I, I think that's even the same input that Sub-Zero has. Um, so they, they would both know the same move. Uh, if, if it's super, super new, they both did a really good job, given the lack of time that you would have, to be honest with you. Um, all that was missing really was a bit of optimization, I guess, like, you know, getting an uppercut from a freeze or something or whatever, like really simple stuff, I guess. But um, they had the fundamentals of it down, you know, they, they were looking for projectiles at range. They were uh, kind of throwing down up close and not getting not letting someone easily just run up there and just, you know, mash the buttons on you, I guess. So mk1 wasn't a bad example to show um it is at its base a very very simple game and there really isn't much execution behind it so once you know a little bit of the execution you're pretty much halfway there already yeah that was the thing that, I, I, that really struck me is watching like you know uh, watching andy throw off uh, a freeze attack and then not jumping in because like instantly i'm like cool and then you jump in and you throw the uppercuts you know, kind of things that we sort of like taper granted now is like and that's a standard thing to do like back there it, it sort of wasn't in way of saying new but i think Street Fighter 2 was so massive as well at this point that I think there's, you know, if you've got quarter circle moves yeah. in one game, then you can kind of just like, as soon as you set down to a new arcade, well, I'll probably try a quarter circle move first because I probably will throw some form of projectile. Absolutely. It's actually kind of this, this matchup makes me laugh though because uh, uh, my brother and I, whenever we, on the extreme rare chance, we'll play MK1, uh, Sub Zero and Raiden tend to be our two characters. Um, uh, Sub-Zero can go for an optimal combo where basically if he hits you with an ice ball he can do like a late jump kick into a slide and it'll pick you up before you hit the floor um, <laughs> does a little bit more damage than uppercut basically uh, can't do it against Raiden though uh, something about Raiden's get up animation being uh, the teleport rather than um, the uh, oh, kick up right. I saw a video yeah. the other day and I'm not going to diverge I promise um, there was a <laughs> to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Mortal Kombat Ed Boon shared an old video of Carlos Pacina doing the motion capture for Raiden and um, 
every time he tried to do the kickflip upwards, uh, they couldn't get the hat to stay on his head. It would always fall off and it would always kind of change around and it would just look really weird and wrong. Um, so they opted to go for Raiden having a teleport animation. So he just stands up from a teleport rather than kickflip because the hat wouldn't stay on his head. Uh, and it's really funny how, because Raiden has a unique get-up animation in Mortal Kombat 1 that can actually prevent certain things from working on him, uh, all came down to the fact that his hat kept falling off. So lovely little, <laughs> uh, lovely little Easter egg, I guess. I do love, like, we did um, a, a big thing on Way of the Warrior back in Series 4. And that was a game that was just, it was filmed in someone's apartments. Like they essentially just like drilled in a green screen to their apartment wall and there wasn't enough depth in the apartment. So they had to actually have the camera outside of the door filming through the way like to, to film everyone. And like, I really do love sort of, I don't want to use the word ramshackled nature, but sort of like doing whatever you can to make this work nature and i i absolutely love that aspect of mortal kombat and and a lot of these early green screen digitizing games the big thing that mortal kombat had over the rest of them was polish and ideas um there were so many mortal kombat clones almost back in the day uh, a lot of them that used digitized actors and stuff like that um they didn't have the same level of i i think polish as really across the board they didn't have the music wasn't as good the visuals weren't as touched up like you know you had, you had some really really talented artists on uh on the midway team who a single sprite would go through so many people before it was ready to be in the game um the story obviously the worlds the characters all that that people would eventually try and copy um there was that real seal of like originality i suppose that that allowed mortal Kombat to push forward and then as, as the f franchise evolved uh the games would become a little bit more sophisticated as well so like you know mk3 you've got the run button you've got the dialer combos and all the other maybe unintended stuff i don't know but that made the game a lot better so it's all there yeah i think a lot of people just saw assumed that blood was the draw um like i interviewed paul anderson uh, when i wrote my book about the, the Mortal Kombat movie and he was just like, yeah, the blood was just like, you know, it was nothing. It was what the, the media focused on. But games players actually enjoy the, the gameplay of it. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the time, you know, but the other people and people trying to emulate more combat, trying to copy it, just saw the blood and was like, aha, that's the appeal. What we need is the big gore in our special moves. Yeah, you can go back and play a lot of games and they're all bad. You know, I can play <laughs> yeah. any of the old Mortal Kombats and, and have a lot more fun. Whereas if I play... Uh... I don't know, something like Time Killers, for example, or or whatever else, Tattoo Assassins, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, those games are not good. You know, those no, games are not, not fun. <laughs> they have gore, but even now they haven't aged well because the gore looks really bad because it's years and years and years later. So it's kind of like uh, uh, even the gore wasn't as good because you look at something like MK3 or MK2 and the fatalities are a little bit more stylish, I suppose. Um, whereas those other games that try to go... Uh, uh, quantity over quality, I think, is the, the word to go for that. And well, let's head uh, over to Series 3 now with the home port version of Mortal Kombat. Well, as it's a Mortal Kombat special, what better wheeze than to have two of the real stars playing themselves on the game, just as you saw in my little featurette. I'm really looking forward to this. Fletcher! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this one. I remember this one. <laughs> so this was really fun as well, because Series 3, massive change for Games Master, new host and everything like that. But this episode is a Mortal Kombat special. It was, a, it was paid for promotion. It was there to advertise. Mortal Monday, I think, was like the day after, or the day before this aired, or it was like the following Monday. Mortal Monday was just around the corner. So this was 
all three challenges were on Games Master. They had a sort of a mini tournament to get to the final. But this celebrity challenge is one of my all-time favorites because it's two of the actors from Mortal Kombat, Danny Pacina and Liz Malecki, and it's this is a this for me was a lot of fun. It's it's one of the I would say more memorable challenges on Games Master, um, at least for Mortal Kombat fans. If you look up MK Games Master, this tends to be the first thing that comes up. Uh, I remember watching it years ago. And it is great. It, it's like the perfect promotion. Um, the actors involved are having a lot of fun. Um, a bunch of the the motion capture um, Mortal Kombat actors are still doing things like fan stuff to this day. You know, they, they love it. They love the scene. They love the game. They love the community. Uh, clearly, it, it was a, a very fun thing for them to do. Um, but on, on the show, it was it was really great. My favorite thing actually about the show was that uh, Daniel Pacina just could not deal with Sonya's leg grab at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I can't say I blame him. Uh, that move is genuinely one of the most broken moves in any game, in any Mortal Kombat. That, that move is unbelievably bloated. Um, and, is, you know, it, is it indefensible? Uh, under certain circumstances, actually. Um, it, there's a, some people actually ban Sonya uh, because... <laughs> So I'm not going to get too technical, but basically the counter hit state, when you get hit out of a button that you're pressing, classic Mortal Kombat doesn't allow you to block a split second after you've got up if you've been counter hit. So if shot, if Sonya leg grabs you and you were hit out of a move you were doing, if Sonya just leg grabs over and over and over again, you can't block it and you can't get out. It's a true infinite. <laughs> it's the very first touch of death in any Mortal Kombat game, and it belonged to Sonya so much that uh, some people would want a banner if they if they ever did compete in modern MK1 tournaments because she was that broken. Um, which is a perfect example, you know, because we saw nothing but the leg grab, and I'm like, yes, you know what you're doing. That that's perfect. That's what we want to see. Yeah, this this is a lot of fun. Uh, we interviewed um, uh, Daniel Pacina for the show. Uh, and he was it was really good sport, you know, talking very much like very highly about his time on, on Games Master. Although he said running down the stairs was genuinely terrifying because it felt quite rickety and it was it was gonna fall apart at any second. Um but yeah, like it's really funny, like particularly for Liz Malecki as well, because as far as I'm aware, like she wasn't really an, a martial artist or anything like that. She was just an actor hired for a job. But and I don't think she played the game much either, whereas I think Daniel was quite into it. Um I I, I wanna make sure I've got my memory right, but um, I think Sonya was a character that was added a little bit later. Mm. I think that was the thing. Um, when they were putting the game together, they were putting the cast together. I, I'm fairly positive. It's been a long time since I since I heard it. I'm sure I saw it in like an interview somewhere. But I'm pretty sure that that rings true to me as well. Yeah, it was that. Um, um, I believe she might have been like a dancer or or something yes. like that. They needed someone very athletic. Um, so she was a perfect fit and obviously did a, a fantastic job because she had some of the best animations in the game. So uh, it was a, a really, really, really good inclusion, absolutely. And, you know, Sonya now is such a legendary Mortal Kombat character. It's kind of mad to think that in the very first Mortal Kombat, there was a timeline where she almost wasn't playable. Um, <laughs> and she's now such an iconic character. You know, it's almost like uh, having a street fight without Chun-Li or something. Uh, I always think it's very funny in this that uh, they they zoom in for the death move um, quite clearly not filmed in that fight. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. In in the old, like the home ports, you had like no time to do fatalities whatsoever. 
so you know, if if they if they're having a good time and they're playing, uh, I, I don't know if in the heat of the moment you'd be able to remember it. Honestly, maybe they did try and do it and they just didn't manage to get it. You know, that was my thinking on it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they might have known it and they they tried it out and they just messed it up once and didn't have time and that's it. And they're like, oh, don't worry, we'll add that in post. We'll add that in post. You know how it is. We'll add that in post. Exactly. Yeah, and it's funny with Games Master Joe. They didn't do that very often. Where they sort of like would do things in post or re-record things. They would re-record challenges and stuff until they got the the result that they wanted. Um, but I think for this, it, it felt like you needed to have the fatality here to, to really put it over and sell the product. Uh, and I love the fact that they did it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Perry just came in and was like, "Oh, that's right, I'll do this. It's fine." Um, well, we're going to skip ahead now to Series Four, and we're going up a gear. What are we playing, Games Master? I searched feverishly for a suitable game for our first challenge and came to the conclusion that it could be none other than Mortal Kombat 2. The new friendship moves may please those of a more delicate constitution, but of course, no Mortal Kombat game will be complete without those sensational fatalities. I've selected three players to take part in this bloody battle of wits, and um, I may add just a little something extra to spice things up. Feel was the the jump between Mortal Kombat One and Mortal Kombat Two. I've used the word a few times. Like polish is the one I think I'd use for this. MK Two was essentially a much more refined version of the first game. Uh, there wasn't really any introduced mechanics. There was nothing really new to the gameplay itself, uh, apart from that it was a little bit more responsive. Uh, MK One, as fun as it was, and you know, it was the first of its kind when it comes to how Mortal Kombat would play in the future. Uh, it, it did very much feel like you were underwater. It was very sluggish and very slow. You can learn how to play a game like that. Um, it became a, a, a real patient man's game because everything was so reactable. Um, but MK2 had the same kind of uh, slow gameplay, but things were just a little bit more responsive. The combos would work the similar way where combos weren't absolutely massive, Across the board, uh, you could do some specific situations where uh, you can get giant, giant combos, but you really need to set them up for combo video only kind of stuff. A lot of the combos in this game would be like anti-air high punch, instant jump kick or jump punch. And if you have an air special, you can do that. If you're in the corner, maybe you'll get a bit more. Like it depended on the revision, as it always did. Uh, different revisions would result in different combo options. And across the revisions, they would kind of minimize them. MK1's combos before the... Uh, fourth revision were absolutely insane you had like loads of like 100 in the corner and stuff like that it was, it was great i loved it i miss it <laughs> yeah. um, but mk2 was just more refined you know there, there was a better cast uh, there was the lore expanded um but the biggest thing were the visuals uh, the visuals were absolutely spectacular for the time and um many people really just once mk2 came out there was no reason to play mk1 mk3 and sorry, old mk3 i guess more specifically uh, people will choose between Ultimate MK3 and MK2 because it's the gameplay they might prefer from one or the other. You want the slower gameplay MK2, you like the ferocity, then you can pick MK3. No real reason to play MK1 apart from maybe you like it in particular because you grew up with it or something like that. This is an interesting challenge as well because when they interviewed the, the lads beforehand, one of them mentions that they got the game on import. Like they've, they've, they've all played it in the arcades, but one of them has got it on import. So it kind of like shows not just how much Mortal Kombat has grown, but also sort of the gaming community is growing as well. And a lot more talk in series four and five about import gaming and stuff. And the other fun aspect of this is 
Richard DeVizio is on set as Baraka, and it's, you know, the again, much like with uh, Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade in, in Series 3, this is the actor who plays Baraka uh, for the motion capture. I don't know if it was the same mask. <laughs> I'm looking at it, and yeah. I don't... I don't think the mask is the same, but he always mentioned. I mean, I could be totally wrong here. Uh, looking at it right now, I'm like, I remember the mask looking different, and it yeah. was like super, super tight and everything like that. And if you're doing that on TV, that's going to be a nightmare. I knew it was Richard Divizio because I watched it while it was muted. I could tell it was Richard Divizio literally just by his movements. <laughs> like he has a very, very specific kind of uh, style. You know, he's very, very. Um, uh, almost like eccentric with how he moves, and it's great. It's perfect. Um, a lot of that stuff he would do with Kano when he was Kano as well. So it's like um, really, really puts his heart and soul into it, and, and that's perfect. Yeah, it was, it's funny. So like when I first watched this, uh, and I hand done my research for it, uh, I just assumed it was Dave Perry. Like I do it for a lot of these things with Ghostbuster. If someone's behind the mask, I'm always going to assume it's Dave Perry. And the reason for it is because of the mask, and. It's only until you mentioned it then, I was just like, oh yeah, but I suppose if you're just filming on a green screen and then you digitize it, you can make it look as great as you need it to be. Like, it doesn't need to be, it probably, you know, was never going to be shown on TV. But yeah, like, it did look like Halloween costume mask for Baraka that I'd get on eBay for a couple of quids. You're not far off from how the mask was made. Oh yeah? Uh, the Baraka mask, they were going through costume stores looking for looking for bits and bobs for new characters. And they found a sort of generic mask of a monster and uh, some fake fingernails that they used for his teeth. Oh. <laughs> um, Ed Boone often said that he's, uh, he was qu- he was quoted in a behind the scenes video of Baraka saying, a lot of people don't realize that this super scary monster is uh, a, a cheap mask and some fingernails that were bought from a supermarket. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was how Baraka was made. So obviously digitally they can touch because it, it kind of goes back to the really talented art team. If they didn't have the art team to do a lot of stuff in post, it would have looked really weird. But <laughs> instead, it looked really good for its time. So they knew what they were doing. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned where the warrior earlier, but that was a game where they bought like I think they said something. Some of the parts of the people's costumes were from like Happy Meal toys. That they got for like, the release <laughs> of Aladdin, and, you know, I will but, absolutely believe that. That's absolutely. it, right? I call that being resourceful. <laughs> but it looks like their cheap Happy Meal toys. Where in what got my two? This looks amazing. It looks really, really good. Uh, how did you find the the the? Did you see there was much of a, like a jump between games playing between from series two and series three into series four? Like, how did you find sort of the evolution of the games playing style here, where people are more used to the game? When people are a bit more used to the game, they're a bit more eager to be aggressive. Like, you're going to see an absolute ton of jump kicks because jumping in these in these old games is, is really, really, really powerful. Um, the funny thing is, like, uh, when, when you watch these. I, I'm watching it over now to refresh my memory, and it's you, you've never seen so many jump kicks. Um, but honestly, Richard Divizio is a beast. Like he knows how the, he knows how to do all the moves. If he thinks that Kung Lao is going to go for a dive kick or something, he's doing the chop chop blades preemptively, which is something that Baraka players would do. Uh, if he's far away, he's doing the blade spark. And if he wants to go in, he's just going to jump. Not much blocking, um, but that tends to be quite common. I think uh, in a lot of these challenges is. Whether it's how they play or whether it's like, maybe it's it's one of those things where the adrenaline kicks in, you're on TV, you've got a single game and uh, some people just, their comfort is to just go all out offense, right? So one of the main things that, that tends to be 
a regular, regular occurrence with fighting games on not just Games Master, but TV is that people don't block. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that's the number one thing that you want to you make sure you're doing. Because if someone's nervous and they're just going ham because they're, uh, they're getting ahead of themselves, then um, the block button is a good button. <laughs> um, the three characters we saw here, we saw uh, Jax, Kung Lao, uh, and Katana. Uh, of those three characters, like which one of you do you have picked? If you were to have a fight against Richard Avizio on Mortal Kombat 2, which character are you picking? Oh, Raiden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, my uh, my MK2 main is Raiden. Uh, he's got he's got really good mobility and he could do his uh his like superman charge in the air now so uh, he's got a lot more mobility than most and for a game i like responsive games so having that extra layer of mobility is really good uh, but of the three characters there i would have picked Jax. um Jax and melina if i'm not mistaken share uh the top two positions on the tier list like Jax is really really powerful uh, he's got super good keep away really good buttons um, it's a combination of like his ground pound, his projectiles. Like he's really hard to advance in on, um, and you know if you're able to n- knock people out of the air, then it, it, it's you kind of get stuck in the mud uh, trying to fight against him. But yeah, it's uh, this game was really interesting with the with the sort of slightly different play styles. You know, some characters were really good, some characters were really bad, and um, I, I don't even remember where Baraka was. I don't know how people <laughs> rate him. I have no idea. <laughs> It's also an interesting period as well because, like, we see in series four a lot of like previews for the Mortal Kombat movie, which would come out the, the following year. Um, and we get into 1995, and I, I've you know watched a lot of uh, old video clips of like 1995 is the year of Mortal Kombat because they had the movie and the journey begins and the, the cartoon and they the franchise <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, they did indeed. Yeah, like I you know I interviewed. Uh, I interviewed, you know, the, the producer behind this, like when he got his hands on this and he was like, we're going to make this this big multimedia thing. It's going to be a stage show. It's going to be a CD. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's going to be the other. And it is really interesting to see that that comes really around the release of Mortal Kombat 3 that it did Mortal Kombat 1. Like, and it's, which is fascinating for me because the reviews of Mortal Kombat 3, which we get to in, in Series 5, all they're talking about there is like, well, I think maybe it's time Mortal Kombat has had its day because... Tekken was out and Virtual Fighter was out and they were moving into this 3D realm. And so you got Dave Perry sitting there being like, well, it's a 2D fighter and like I don't know what's like what shelf life this has anymore. And uh with hindsight, 2D still pretty damn good. And right, absolutely. That's really it. It's like I don't really know what what to make of that train of thought because I guess everything was becoming 3D. That's so it. I, I guess it would have been understandable. It would have been understandable for people shiny. to be like, hey, look, it's 3D. 3D is the future. Every fighting game is going to be it. And then, you know, all we can do now is look back and, and see the journey that fighting games had. A lot of fighting games would turn to 3D from 2D back then. And those games would often be regarded as the worst of the series because they, they looked okay for the time frame, but they, they all played really badly. Um, they didn't play like the games they were supposed to play. And then at the same time, you would have companies come out and they'll make their own one-off standalone fighting game because uh, everyone was making a fighting game back then on like PS1 <laughs> and N64 or whatever. And they would all be 3D and they'd all be full of some decent characters and some cool ideas, but they played really badly. Um, and those games have aged like milk. You can't go back and play them and have fun now because they just, they're not fun. They're really clunky. They're really stiff. Um, and it was... a uh, almost a, a token of so many people trying to jump on the 3D trend because it was seen to be the future. And maybe it wasn't because unless it was something like Tekken, uh, 
most 3D fighting game developers didn't really get the memo of how to make it fun. And, and yeah. fun was the number one thing. Whereas you look at other games that would live on uh, and continue to be. Even a game like Street Fighter EX, which has 3D graphics, but they wanted to keep the strict 2D gameplay. Street Fighter EX 2 Plus is still one of the most beloved, remembered, classic fighting games from back in the day. You can play Street Fighter EX 2 Plus now and still have a great time. It is still, to this day, one of my favorite fighting games to play. I play it at my local every two weeks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's kind of actually what we were talking about earlier with the people jumping on the gore bandwagon from Mortal Kombat. You know, it's you can focus on one thing, but actually it's you're missing one huge aspect of it, which is make a game actually playable. Make it fun. <laughs> no one got the memo to make games fun. What the hell? yourself for combat mortal combat action figures fight for right in your own tournament of champions Liu kang johnny cage raiden get over here sub-zero reptile in the dragon mk1 kino on the combat cycle mortal combat it's not just a game anymore mortal combat action figures combat cycle comes with kano dragon mk1 comes with reptile Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold on to your eyeballs and get ready to rip into a whole new fist-in-your-face reality as Mortal Kombat 3 bashes its way into the R-Zone. Use the backbreaker! Awesome! You will meet all your enemies. Brain chop! In this startling new dimension. They're right in my face! In the R-Zone. Here comes Wolf! Mortal Kombat 3 lives in the R-Zone.
Uh, well, let's jump back to series five now. What is our next challenge? I sense that beating up the computer-controlled characters when you play the game in one-player mode isn't as easy as it used to be. So my challenge today is for a contestant to win a best-of-three-round fight against the computer with the difficulty set to hard. It would be nice to see combos and the new finishing moves, but um, I'll accept a straight win. So I sent you this one, uh, you and your brother, this uh, a few months back when we were reviewing this episode because I was so curious to find, like, you know, from a pro player, because this feels like the first time we're getting a, a quote-unquote pro player style challenge, which is, you know, this Mark Towers fellow just absolutely dominates through the first challenge, and then they make the joke of, well, that was too easy, you're now going to have to do it blindfolded. And I was so curious to know for, like, from, from you, like, looking back at this now, like, is this the really the smart tactic to use here? Well, if I'm not mistaken, this is vanilla MK3. This is, yeah, this is, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 is not even out yet. Like, they have a news item in a few episodes' time that they're just about to release the new boards for Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, but it's far, far away from being on the home market. I feel like this is definitely the highest level gameplay that we would have seen so far. Uh, he had good character choices. Uh, Sub-Zero was widely regarded in Vanilla MK3 as the number one character. Uh, he got nerfed heavily in Ultimate. Uh, it was the combination of like, basically just look up any Mortal Kombat 3 Vanilla Sub-Zero combo videos and you'll see what I mean. Uh, he has loads of really, really huge, overblown, bloated combo. Obviously you won't see them here, but uh, that was more, you know, later down the line and only really, the only players that would do that stuff back in the arcade days were like, like hardcore. Uh, you know, players on like the East Coast and stuff like that, you would get a few. Um, my good friend Summoning, who now lives in Sweden, but he came from the East Coast, uh, Cyrax had a whole bunch of like bomb infinites that he could do <laughs> in vanilla MK3 that Summoning used to rinse and uh, get in quite a lot of trouble at the arcade. Some people weren't particularly happy that they put money in and Cyrax is hitting them with a 100% combo and he's just sitting there laughing his ass off. Um, <laughs> but this challenge was cool because... Um, I think they're on a lower difficulty. Uh, when you're on like a high difficulty, the the AI will block everything. They will block everything. They will jump every projectile. Um, and it wouldn't have made for good TV if this guy's just getting move read the whole time. Um, it, it wouldn't have made for good, for good viewing because it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're against really hard AI and you don't know how to exploit how they react to what you do, um, they'll beat you. You, you don't get to play like your traditional games. So this gave him a really good chance to kind of show off a little bit of the special moves. Um, it, it was the one thing that got me was he was doing like uppercuts after a freeze. But in this game, obviously, you got the dialer combos, which will do more damage than an uppercut. And Sub-Zero's one sets up for, you know, like an ice shower or something like that. But going into the blindfolded challenge, uh, he picked a really good character for it. Um, as long as he could stay on top of what side he was on, uh, he did lots and lots of teleports, like loads. And that's, it doesn't do too bad of a job of tracking. The input is like forward, forward, low kick. So it's very, very easy to do. As long as you can stay on top of what side you're on, that was a really good tactic, you know. And, and it almost didn't 100% work because Liu Kang, you know, uh, you get those rounds where, you know, Liu Kang might start move reading a little bit or maybe kind of jumps just at a weird time in the teleport misses but across the board he had a really really good strategy to get it done you know what i mean so uh i definitely commend the character choice would there have been another character that you could do this with or is it like because sector has got not just the the homing uppercut but also the homing missile as well 
So, like, would there have been another character that you could have done this with, something similar? You could have picked Robot Smoke. Um, if I were in that challenge, um, a, a really, really easy combo you can do, because uh, Robot Smoke has the same teleport. He actually has the exact same move, um, only he can do jump kick, air grab, and it does, like, a third life. Uh, it used to be the the number one strategy you'd use in like speed runs. If you were speed running the arcade ladder, you'd just get them to projectile, you teleport, jump kick, grab, blah, 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 blah. Technically, it's not its highest damage, but it's the highest damage um, in comparison to the rate of which you can land it because you can just do it constantly. Teleport, air grab, teleport, air grab, teleport, air grab. Um, so if I were doing a blindfolded challenge, I probably would do that because it's the same strategy as Sector, but you get 10,000 times more reward. Um, to be fair, though, I don't know if he would have been unlocked. On, uh, <laughs> in vanilla MK3, Smoke was the hidden character. So um, yeah. I don't even know if he would have been available. A- outside of that, um, you'd need to look for like audio cues, characters that have very distinct sounds on. Like You could probably do Sub-Zero again, but you'd need to know that they're frozen and you need to know where they are. So it's probably going to be a little bit tricky. Um, the good thing about the Sector pick there was that it tracks to where you are. And if you hear it land you know that the jump kick's going to hit because you're in the perfect position. You haven't got to do anything else. So um, that was a really, really good choice. Very smart. Is there a market out there for like blind Mortal Kombat playing? Like I know there's a, you know, if you watch through GDQ, there's usually a blindfolded run every year. Um, is there much of that within the Mortal Kombat community? There are actually a fair few players um, that are visually impaired that play Mortal Kombat. Oh, wow. And they're really good. Uh, they, they go by... Um, they go by all kinds of like audio cues and, and they pick characters that um, really sort of help that from the old execution side. Um, like there's actually a, a really, really good amount of players in the community that um, are really, really good at the game because they're just so good at, at, at you know, um, it, it. audio is a big one for sure. And uh, I, I can never give enough respect the players that are able to do that you know still mm-hmm. still doing what they love to do and are st- still really good at it too like it's you watch it and you're just super inspired um just you know it's it's, it's a fantastic thing uh, but it, it's actually more common than you would think to be fair so let's get into our final mortal kombat challenge for games master uh, and what are we playing with mortal kombat 4 finally reaching our shores i searched long and hard to find three contestants debauched enough to play the game to a professional level they have the show's duration to demonstrate their fighting skills by discovering as many special moves and fatalities as possible. After that, I will decide which challenger has made the most ghastly impression of the evening, and my decision is final. We're jumping ahead now. This is Series 7, Episode 2. This is actually a little bit far in our future now. Um, and this is, again, back onto the arcade. They did a similar challenge to this in Series 5, but on, on Tekken 2, which is that we've got this brand-new arcade machine, and we're going to get, pro not pro players, but like the best players from the local arcade to come down and just explore the game and find the best moves that they possibly can and show off the best moves. So I, Mortal Kombat 4 is a bit of a blind spot for me because I haven't played a Mortal Kombat game from Ultimate through many, many years later. So what were the big differences between MK3, Ultimate MK3, and then going into MK4, aside from sort of the visual differences? Uh, it was the first crack at 3D. Uh, it's not your... It doesn't play much like a 3D fighting game. There are 3D elements. There's a sidestep. Um, 
but that's really it. And I, if I'm not mistaken, on the arcade version, you would need to double tap run. Um, and if you hold down, is either you double tap run, you go down or up, and you have to hold one of the directions on the stick and double tap to go the other way. I can't 100% remember. Um, but that would be changed in the uh, console ports because there would be designated sidestep buttons. But on the arcade, they had to just make do with what they had. Uh, mechanically, dialer combos would become universal. Um, so uh, in you know Ultimate MK3, you would have every character has their own specific kind of built-in dialer combos. Most characters would have like high kick, high kick, back high kick because that's like an easy one that like, everyone can do. But the higher damage stuff would be very different. You know, like Sector would have high punch, high punch, high kick, back high kick, and uh, even Cyrax, it would be a different one. It would be slightly different order of buttons. Whereas in Mortal Kombat 4, there's more of them. You can do more dialer combos, more variety, but every single character in the game can do them. Some animations might be a little bit different for like the high kicks or something. Uh, that will change a few combo options if you're going for the really optimal stuff, but sorry, hiccups at the worst time. Uh, if you're going for the really optimal stuff, then that might make a difference, but for, for most people it won't. Um, the universal combo system made a lot of characters play quite similar. Uh, it meant that everyone could play MK4, you know, everyone can run, everyone can sidestep, jump kicks are the exact same, for, and you know, jump attacks are the same across the board. What makes characters stand out is their special moves. Um, and if your special moves are super powerful, you were a powerful character. Tanya, for example, is widely regarded as the best character in the game because her special moves are incredible. Uh, her low drill attack, which is basically the uh, spiral arrow from Kami <laughs> uh, in Street Fighter. Uh, that move is like the ultimate move because it punishes things. You can combo into it. Um, <clears throat> you can convert air to air jump kicks with it, which most characters can't do. And then you go on the opposite end of the tier list and like Kai and Quan Chi are like the two weakest characters in the game because their specials are dreadful. And that's it. If you have bad specials, you're a bad character. It's really, yeah. uh, really sort of up in the air. So this was, you know, a challenge to go through and find like the best move that you could show off uh, on this brand new game. Um, what stood out to you as like the best example of that? Um, I will be honest, not much. Um, <laughs> I, I don't mean that in like a, no, no, a, a sort of disrespectful sense. Um, being able to do some fatalities and stuff was pretty cool. Um, but... <laughs> Special moves are one thing, but if I'm looking for cool stuff, I'm looking for the source. You yeah, know, yeah. show me the source. Give me a combo, right? Give me a, a good old because combos in the game were universal. So um, it was very common that MK players before four, the second you find out combos are universal, you'd start going with a lot of combo strings that used to work in Mortal Kombat three, and lo and behold, they work in mk4 because so much of it stems from just high punch high punch or high punch high kick um and then any other kind of move that you do after that whether it's a button direction or something will, will generally work so you can launch from it with a kick you can launch with an uppercut you can uh do a four hit you can do you can do all sorts and you can do special moves in the middle of those combo strings as well which is actually something new you couldn't do that in uh, previous games so like that's the kind of stuff that i would have wanted to see as a kid I think as a kid, I'd have been like, oh, I know the special moves. I've seen <laughs> Sub-Zero's Ice Ball before. No, I want to I I see more stuff. 
Um, I don't want to don't want to fault the players too much. No. Though. You know, it's again like if if the game wasn't even available for people yet and no one had played it, then you can only really do so much. But I can only assume um, that maybe there just wasn't a lot of MK experience before then because a lot of the move inputs were quite universal from old games. If you were, I mean, I mean, you've probably been in these experiences before because you've had new Mortal Kombat games come out, um, particularly now, sort of like in your your pro life, your pro gaming life. What do you do when you first pick up a new? version of Mortal Kombat like what is your go-to like if you're in this scenario where it's like here's a brand new game show me what's the coolest thing you can do first thing you'll do is uh, if you can't if you don't have access to a command list you'll just sort of go by old school inputs that used to work um, you'll do your your generic average input tests first to the core circles the back forwards whatever um, and if you feel like there's a bit more that might be there, you might start looking for like some old school inputs that might be a little bit different. Maybe they've maybe they've retained uh, a lot of times nowadays. They don't tend to, but you know, it's always worth a go. And once you've got some special moves, you just start looking around for combo strings. Like if you're being told you they want to see some cool stuff, you're basically going to look for the special moves and see what they do. Do any of the special moves stun? Do any of them launch the opponent? Like. Yeah, the term launch meaning knocks them up so you can follow up with, with more combo stuff. Um, and then you look at combo strings that can sort of tie into those. Every combo in all of these games, it's just like a, a little pyramid, right? Or it's a ladder. You're going up each step. So the first step will be the first hit, whether that hit results in a stun, whether it results in something that can lead into a stun. Uh, the stun or the launch, the knockup, that's the second step. You're going to juggle them a little bit and then you're going to finish the combo with some kind of special move that does good damage, right? Um, so that, that really is kind of like just the, 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 the ladder you climb to build that stuff. Um, alternatively, a cool thing you can do now is you can fight against AI, set them to the hardest difficulty and uh, just put the controller down and watch them do combos on you and then steal them. Ah, that's what well, a lot is... of people do these days. We did that. <laughs> did you uh by chance i can't remember if you did but did you go to the mk11 reveal event in london i did not know i was at the uh injustice 2 reveal one so um the mk11 reveal event uh mustard and myself played a show match and it was i think it was actually the first competitive gameplay of the game that had ever been released um so we we knew we had a bit of pressure you know a little bit of pressure but we had some time to practice so uh, i was scorpion jake was sub-zero we just went against very hard AI, uh, picked the variations that we knew we'd use and just watched them do stuff and then just copied their combos. And um, when you have to try and do stuff in a pinch, that's the best way to see what's possible because the AI is actually pretty damn good at finding optimals. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, they do some pretty cool looking stuff. So if you can if you can copy that, then you're pretty much off to a good start. So that's all of the Mortal Kombat challenges in the original run, um, obviously until we get to Series A, which is your uh, your appearance. How did you find sort of the evolution, not just of the series, but of the games playing off that series and the, the challenges that we had? People became a lot more familiar with it. Um, that that was, I guess it goes without saying, but, you know, the more people play these games and the more comfortable they get. And I mean, let's, let's be honest too, the more familiar these players get with fighting games in the arcade. Um, I I can't speak for them because... The arcade era was like slightly before my time. I was a, I was a kid during the 90s. Um, if I had an arcade, then I would have gone. But I lived in one of those small towns that the closest you have it is like a house of the dead machine, a bowling alley. That that really is it. That's so, what I had as well. Yeah, that, that very much went over our heads. We had to do console. So, you know, the, these players were the innovators. 
uh, they were an important generation for these games to thrive and continue. And really, if it wasn't for all the support that all the players that you see on those challenges that they're playing at the local arcade all the time and they're really good at various games. Like if it wasn't for those players putting their quarters in and, and contributing, you know, Mortal Kombat might not have been where it is today. Maybe most fighting games wouldn't have been. Maybe fighting games would have just tanked and then everyone would have been like, oh, there's no point making those. Then they don't sell. They don't make any money. So that enthusiasm was so necessary for not only the games to continue, but the communities to be formed from it. Uh, and community is a big thing. Community is what keeps a lot of fighting games going these days, especially with COVID and lockdown. Community tournaments have been rampant because... They, they, they put the weight of it on their shoulders and they make it happen. Well, as a little bit of an extra bonus, um, I sent you across like a list of all of the fighting game challenges, uh, not just Mortal Kombat related from Games Master. And you kind of sent across some of the other ones that you'd be, you wanted to talk, you know, take a look at and, and have a chat about. Uh, and that included one of my favorites from series five, which is the Executioner's Fatality Challenge. As you know, I'm a big fan of the death move. Those finishing moments of a beat-em-up which leave no one in any doubt as to who is the victor. I was intrigued then, the other day, to receive a letter from a character calling himself the Executioner, claiming he could pull off every possible death move on every conceivable game. I decided at once to put him to the test by collecting together a vast number of beat-em-ups and requiring him to pull off three death moves in a row from the three randomly selected games. Let's see how hard this executioner really is. Where he picks at random uh, a copy of MK3, Primal Rage and Killer Instinct. Uh, MK3 and Killer Instinct on the Super Nintendo, Primal Rage on the 3DO. And he has got to... <laughs> Sorry. I mean, one of those ports has to be good, for the love of God. And he has got to perform uh, a fatality on each of those games. Uh, he unfortunately fails at this when he gets to Killer Instinct. But how did you feel that... So Ravi Chopra, the guy who plays the Executioner, he's part of the Games Master production team. Uh, he was one of the researchers uh, on this series. How did you feel that, that he did within this challenge? Um, did he have... The um, do we know if he had the inputs? I don't know that much. All I will know is that he probably had some practice on this because he, he must have, have known. Because yeah. like, if they if they put you in a game and you have no idea what the finishing moves are, then you're not going to get a single one. Yeah. Um. So he he must have known them, but I guess at the uh, in the heat of the moment, um, perhaps it was a little bit different. Actually, one of the cool things, um, looking back and sort of refreshing my memory. Doing the challenge with uh, doing the challenge for MK3 was cool because it's actually it was very rare that you would see someone do a mercy um, because some of the finishing moves you had to do certain things like for example we saw the animality used which you could only do an animality if you mercied and you can only do mercy if it's round three um, so if it's round three you jump back you. Um, I always did it by holding run and going down, 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 down and release. I don't actually remember if that's how you do it. It's just how I always did it. Um, but basically, yeah, it gives the opponent a little bit of health left. And if you beat them again and put them into finishing for a second time, that is when you can do your animality. I think you can do a friendship then as well. Um, either that or I've got a different finishing move because the friendship is normally done without blocking. 
but I think Mercying someone lets you do it as well. Don't know if it's the same for Babalities though. Babalities were like pure bad manners. I beat you so easily I didn't have to block. That was what Babalities <laughs> were always for. But yeah, seeing an animality here was really, really cool. Um, but I mean, like, if you have, you know, if you have the, uh, if you have the inputs down, your ability to get a finishing move is 100% going to be dictated by how generous the screen requirement is. If you can do them from most places, like Primal Rage, like I'm looking back at Primal Rage now, Primal Rage and the finishing moves were actually pretty generous because um, at least in the arcade version, I, I don't know about the, the ports because I never played the ports, but if you do if you do the correct fatality input on the arcade version of Primal Rage, the opponent will just die and you will manually... Like you will automatically, sorry, walk up to them and then do your finishing move. Uh, right. That there really is no screen requirement. You just because the input is always really complicated in Primal Rage to do um, fatalities, so there's no screen requirement at all. So as long as you can do the input, you're fine. Whereas uh, if I recall in Killer Instinct, uh, Killer Instinct in particular is actually a, a pretty, uh, it's pretty brutal. Um, you, you have to be at, at the exact range to get them, otherwise it, it just isn't going to work. That's what I assumed when I watched it back. I was like, the killer is one. I was like, I, he clearly had the right button inputs for it. He's just in the wrong place for it. Right. Knowing Games Master, I think I know what finishing move he was trying to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he was trying to do the one where Orchid flashes you that's and you right, die. Yeah, yeah. And correct. if that's the case, he was way too far away. That was a... Uh, that, that's a close range finishing move yeah that's a close range one not that i've done it it just happened when you play the game online it happens to you all the time because every orchid player <laughs> thinks they're being hilarious by you know beating you and then doing it it's like oh yeah great not like i haven't seen that a thousand times before good lad good lad but yeah that one i think was way too far away that, that had to be why it didn't work my final challenge for today is the truly primitive arcade game primal rage the two characters i've selected Diablo and Blizzard are not likely to make it beyond the Ice Age, but they've got plenty of stamina when it comes to a good old beat-em-up. As always, players have three rounds to secure their opponent's extinction. Uh, over to Series 4, Episode 2. Uh, this is Primal Rage in the arcades, and this is a very, very early release of it. And I have only ever played Primal Rage on the home consoles. In fact, I've actually only played the Mega Drive version of it as well, because that was the version I had when I was a kid. So I've never played this game in the arcades. Uh, so you're saying it was a bit easier in the arcades than it was on the, the home consoles? Uh, no. Oh. Uh, the arcade version tended to be... Uh, and this is going off specifically because I have not played any of the ports before. Um, but I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, his name is MKK Hanzo. And uh, he is one of the most hardcore Primal Rage players I've ever known. <laughs> he he knows everything, every single little thing, and he loves the game too. Um, basically, from what I can tell, the arcade version actually was very difficult. Um, that was where they started to go in with uh, the, the unique special move inputs where you hold the button, perform the motion, and then release the button. 
uh, that really was a, a rather new way of doing special moves. It's kind of why a lot of people felt like they couldn't do the special moves because they yeah. didn't know that that was just the system for it. I was one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Absolutely. Me too. Um, I, I wouldn't have known. I remember playing it a little bit as a kid and, and not really remembering, but I, I, I remember that I couldn't do the moves, you know. Uh, so Primal Rage is one of my low-key favorite fighting games I've ever played because mechanically it was light years ahead of its time. Everyone often talks about Primal Rage for its groundbreaking visual effects, which to be fair, they should. Uh, it was a real visual achievement for 1994. But gameplay-wise, there was so much going on. It was insane. Like the visual stun bar, for example. There's anti-infinite protection, anti-cheese protection. That conversation, whether it should be there and shouldn't be there, I guess, you know, remains to be seen. But it was there because that's what they wanted to do. Um, you had three different types of jump. You had link, you could combo with links, you could combo with chains, you could do air chains, you could jump cancel from your grounded moves into more stuff, which would allow for weird combos. Like, there were mechanics in place in Primal Rage that did not exist in any game ever at that point. Um, and, it, and it innovated so much of it that uh, you'd never expect it. You'd never expect that Primal Rage had all this stuff. And, and I actually did a, a video on this um and i had some developer insight um and i was essentially told that the reason so many of the mechanics were as refined as they were is because they had really talented qa mm. that were able to find bugs but also because they were really good fighting game players they could push new mechanics to the limit um and really show the team if, if this worked or that worked and they helped refine the combat so much because they were just so good at playing the game they could find all the stuff necessary to decide whether this mechanic was good or bad. Um, and that's what resulted in, in a very, very ahead of its time fighting game. Sorry to diverge, but that's no, no, answer. not at all. This game is fantastic. No, I've always been very interested in Primal Rage. Actually, I mean, before this challenge uh, airs, they have a feature on it and they kind of go behind the scenes of all the stop motion stuff and everything like that. And I, when I was doing my research for it, uh, for the episode, I'd be kind of a you know, as much of a dive as I, as I possibly could um, using a lot of like uh, your video and, and Matt McMuscles. Um, and I've, I've always found this to be something, I loved it when I was a kid. I was terrible at the game, but there was always like a lot of things in the game that people talk about the pissing or, you know, the, the, the farting and things like that, that really did sort of appeal to me as, a, as an immature child. And also <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it's giant monsters beating the crap out of each other. And as a Godzilla fan, like it was, it, it was kind of like playing a, a, a version of SNK's King of Monsters I could really sink my teeth into. Just be, I was just terrible at it just watching this gameplay back now and i'm just like it makes me want to play primal rage um <laughs> it really does because like blizzard was one of the funnest characters to play because he just has his combos are really easy um you just do one of his fast like low punches and then you can he's got like a, a back fist that's really really easy to do him and chaos both have it and um you can combo from that and then you can do like a launch or a stun or whatever Blizzard has this really cheap overhead low 50-50 in that game because the game's got universal overheads, but it also has, uh, he's got like a low slide, so it can do that into the ice pillar, which freezes. Like, Blizzard's mad cheap. He's mad cheap in that game, you know. He's well good. Have you ever played it competitively? I would have had the chance, but there, there really never has been. That's what was my follow-up question. It was like, is there much of a competitive... Or there's players that know yeah. how to play it, and they play it with each other for fun, but like, there's there's no... There's no tournaments for it. Yeah. It's a really good game, but it's, you know, it, it's a, 
if you're going to learn how to play Primal Rage, it really is a labor of love. It's not going to be because you want to win tournaments or something. Um, it's just a really fun game. The idea here is brutally simple. Whoever manages to pull off the combo with the highest number of moves will earn the golden joystick. Each contestant has one bout in which to prove their combo credentials. Uh, well, speaking of fun games that I was terrible at when I was a youth, uh, and actually terrible that I was an adult as well. Going up to Series 5, Episode 6, we have the King of Combos challenge on Killer Instinct, where we have three players uh, all have their own go at Killer Instinct in the arcade to try and get the best combo possible. Now, I loved this challenge when we reviewed it quite recently because this shows sort of like the evolution of games playing skills across Games Master. You wouldn't have seen anything like this in the earlier series. These are kids who spend a lot of their time down the arcades. And, you know, the way that kind of like Derek Lynch talks about them, these are the best arcade players that he has seen down, you know, at, at Namco Funland. And it is, I cannot get my head around Killer Instinct. I just don't think I've got the, the, the patience for it. But like, you know, as someone who knows the game quite well, watching this challenge back, how do you think that they all fared doing the combos? To be honest with you, um, the second you see all three of them playing Orchid, you kind of know that they know, like they know what the best option is. Um, I can't remember if, you know, any time has changed, because we've had years and years and years right now that there's loads of really hardcore, um, there's still a hardcore community for Killer Instinct Arcade, mostly in South America. Uh, they play online with each other using the port that was on Xbox One and Xbox Series X. And um, that's how they play against each other. So they, they have broken the game down to its atom. You know what I mean? Like they can do all kinds of unintentional wild combos that are uh, way bigger. And the only reason for it is because that's 20 years later. So yeah, yeah. Given, the, given the fact that this game was new and fresh, uh, and the players are clearly doing very, very similar combo paths to each other, and they're all playing the same character. Like, they know at the time what the best option is. You know, they're not just winging it. So that, that's, that's the first step. Um, it's, it's nice to watch back, but there's also the level of they, they needed these players to do a ultra combo. But at the same time, you're fighting AI. And uh, how much that AI is going to get hit you're really, uh, you, you'll sometimes have to just make do. So for example, I think one of these ultras, if I'm not mistaken, um, I, I'm sure one of these attacks hits from, yeah, I think it's the second one. Um, the sort of uh, twirl kick that Orchid does, a few of the attacks at the beginning don't hit because you're using it from range and then you start going into, you know, um, you start going into the ultra from there. If you got the first few hits, you would have got an extra couple. And, you know, who knows what the difference that would have made. But the cool thing about Killer Instinct is if you're specifically going for, like, the absolute... Yeah, and, and that, actually, I, I've just seen it here. Really, really good. Uh, the final player that comes up here allows themselves to get hit by Thunder so they can do a combo breaker. That is, like, the ticket to getting, a, a, like, the biggest ultra. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, it's the final. The third person actually gets the biggest combo. He does, yeah. He gets 46. Yeah, and I'm going to watch it back just to double check. Um, I think I know why that is, and it was really, really smart. Boom, boom, boom. Yep, yep. So the reason for that being as good as it is is because the moment the game starts, uh, he lets Thunder hit him, does a combo breaker. Combo breakers actually change some of your moves. A lot of people don't know this, but combo breakers will actually give you more attacks. 
Um, they will often enhance your projectiles. Uh, most projectile characters can do a... You have to do it Primal Rage style, where you hold the button down, motion, release, and you get, like, essentially a shadow version of that move sometimes. Um, Orchid can do a shadow version of her cat, which goes full screen, which it doesn't normally. Um, it turns her projectile into a, a triple projectile, and that's what's used to, to get the extra few hits at the end. So that was a combination of getting all of your hits at the beginning and then getting the ultra at the end with the three projectiles wouldn't have been possible had he not purposefully got hit to do a combo breaker. So that's some really high level stuff. Um, honestly, like that's that's the kind of stuff that if you played Killer Instinct, most people wouldn't even know that combo breakers gave you new moves. It's yeah. why your health bar has a flashing white line on it. It's trying to tell you that you have combo breaker moves available. And the second oh. that goes you get three. So you combo break, you get three moves or three uses of it, uh, and, and that's it. That, that's why it flashes. It's, it's telling you that you've got a, a move left. This is probably the highest level thing I've seen in, in Games Master so far. Like, genuinely, like, no joke. Um, having that that peace of mind to go in for mechanics, and he even does an air combo as well. Like, you can do a jump in and then an air-to-air -air special. Every character has a, a specific one. How you knew that back then with no one to tell you is unbelievably impressive. Yeah. Like, really, 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 really well done. Yeah, no, I, I really, really enjoyed this challenge. And it, what I found interesting, because I, I wanted to ask you about this as well. So Derek Lynch, after the, he showed the replay of the combo. We didn't quite get the maximum, Derek, so no. why did he miss the other two? Let's have a look. Okay. Oh, what happened here is hit with the helicopter hit twice, which would have been just one hit. Right, now why was that? Uh, well, the computer moved in actually, so it's not due to lack of skill. Right, it's the computer doing it. It's quite strange that you actually have to hit them less in order to get the full combo. That's right, that's right. But it's all about timing. Exactly. It's really weird, I was, I was just curious, like, is that right? Is that, is that sort of analysis, of that correct? Oh, yeah, I think that might have been, that might have been me maybe misunderstanding it. So... Because I said they get it from the max distance and that might have given them less. I actually wonder if Orchid's combo depends on you hitting the first hit to start it. You might be able to get like one extra special or something like that. Because mm. um, if, if it resulted in them not getting as many hits as they wanted, that sounds to me like there's like a, a special move there or something that they could only do if you start the combo with like the first hit i i don't know the absolute fine details of like the hit limits and stuff like that um when it comes to killer instinct combos um and i don't play orchid <laughs> I, yeah. play I play riptor thunder and um well i play quite a few characters but riptor's my favorite but it sounds to me like they were absolutely purposefully trying to get the uh her twirly kick to hit on the, the first or the final hit i guess Mm. Um, probably so they could get like an extra special move squeezed in there somewhere, which to be fair makes the most sense. But that just goes back into how they knew that back then is yeah. unreal. Like, how did they know that, man? With its whopping ultra combos, Killer Instinct is the most involved beat em up since Vietnam. We decided to follow up on last year's King of Combos event with Killer Instinct Gold, the latest version of the game on the Nintendo 64. I like to keep a close eye on the arcades. And for this event, I've plucked three champion arcade players to demonstrate their combo credentials. The idea is simple enough for even the most dim-witted of yours. The player who succeeds in pulling off the biggest combo takes the joystick. However, my champions are likely to be sorely tested by the necessity of using the Nintendo 64's unique joystick. It might be great for 3D games, but when it comes to arcade beat-em-ups, 
those tiny joystick buttons can be fiendishly difficult to manage. Um, and our last challenge we're going to look at is from Series 6, Episode 2. It's the follow-up to that previous King of Combos challenge, and it is Killer Instinct Gold. However, not on the arcade, it's on the brand new N64. And one of the things I really like about this challenge is the way the commentary talk about it is that, yeah, they might be really good at it in the arcade, but now they've got to try and refine those skills onto this bizarre new N64 console, uh, this brand new N64 pad. Uh, how did you find this one in comparison to the previous Killer Instinct challenge? The first obstacle is just being able to deal with the controller. Uh, it is actually something that alienated. This was an interesting part of history, um, actually, for fighting game players, because if you played at the arcade, you played on stick, right? So, if you go from, it's not like now where you can you can get a, a fight stick for anything and it, and you can get your own parts, you can customize it. So if you don't like the stick, you can put your own one in or whatever. Uh, times were very different back then, which unfortunately meant that uh, you were pretty significantly alienated if you were an arcade player and now you've got all these home ports where you have to use a controller. That is... I can't imagine how much of a, a difficult jump that would be. But being able to get that still, that goes back to it being pretty impressive. Because most fighting game players wouldn't even touch consoles. They'd look at the controller and go, I'm not playing on that. I can't. I, yeah. I, I, I cannot do it. it. It just is way too different. But the cool thing about the combos in Killer Instinct Gold or Killer Instinct 2 I'm going to, all right, so in case anyone wants to swear at me and tell me that I'm wrong, I am going on the understanding that the N64 version is similar. It looks similar, and it looks like it functions similar, so I'm going to assume it's like the arcade version. Um, your Ultra and the size of your combos, uh, they actually expand depending on how many Enders you do. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, there, the, are, there it is, are. It is the same, yeah. There are combo enders that you do, and the more of them you do, uh, the bigger the combo will become, essentially. Now, the one difference is, in the middle of this combo, uh, there are sort of special linkers uh, or you know combo extenders that you can do, um, which basically, like, that, that meter that builds under the character's health bar, it essentially lets you to... It allows you to do new, more powerful special moves. So... Uh, I, I'm trying to remember how much every character has because I played Glacius in that, and he has um, he has two of them, I think. Uh, where basically you spend half of one of those bars that you have, and you can do a much bigger uh, linker. So you know it, you do auto double linker, auto double linker. Uh, you could do auto double into this shadow linker, which has way more hits on it, and it costs your meter to do it. If now when I see people do like absolutely gigantic Killer Instinct two combos, they m use as much meter as as they can on the combo before ending it in the ultra. So they make sure that they've done all of the enders. They make sure they've got all the meter, and they just blow everything. And it does result in combos that are just way, 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 way too big. But it's Killer Instinct, you know, it's meant to be big. That's um, it. But uh. It looks to here. I'm just try I'm trying to watch some of these back. I'm just trying to see if they actually used the. No, they did do. Um, they, I think they did use some of those um, shadow linkers because there's meter on on how I'm watching combo now, and uh, I see the roll. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like there was a shadow linker for the roll too. But it looked like he didn't have much meter, so you kind of had to had to make do with what you had. The players keep shaking their heads when they finish their combo. I wonder if they're like that they they normally do more or something. I don't That's know. it. Yeah, I get the impression with them that they are a bit more opaque, particularly in the arcades. Um, and like you know, on commentary, Dom and and Derek are talking about the fact that like particularly that second one, Mark, he didn't have enough combo enders. And like I think Derek even said he needed five, but he needed all five of them, and he missed three super linkers, and that's what really sort of hurt his uh, his hit combo because he ends up losing this. He gets forty one in the end. Yeah, if you don't have all of your enders and you don't get to do the uh, the shadow linkers, then um, that's gonna that is going to cut so many hits. <laughs> that's gonna cut too many to count. Um, it's, it's a weird mechanic, honestly, for, for KI2 to have. KI2 feels um, a very unusual... It's fun and I enjoy it. I think I prefer the classic one still, but it was such an interesting bridge between Killer Instinct 1 and, and the one that we now have um, because some of the ideas were definitely expanded in KI2 and the game in many ways is more polished and more refined. But there's something about the first game that just keeps people coming back to it, where of all three KIs, KI2 is, is still very much, I think, the least played. Um, and if it's high level, then definitely, definitely the least played. And I never really knew why. I don't know, I don't know why. I don't have a strong answer for it. And that's coming from someone who still plays the classic one as well. So <laughs> it's a great game. I just don't play it as much as the uh, classic. Well, that was uh, Mark there was the second guy who was the loser there. But it's okay, because... He's the chap that also won the Mortal Kombat 4 challenge that we get in Series 7. So, you know, he's got his golden joystick in the end. <laughs> uh, Kedjob, thank you so much for spending your time with us and sharing your expertise knowledge. Like, it was really, really interesting to, to hear you talk about these games in, in such detail. And if people want to hear you talk more about these games uh, in detail and games much like it, where can people find you? Plug away. Cheers, mate. I'm a full-time <laughs> nerd over on the YouTube world and... Uh, I do full-time commentary uh, for, for tournaments and stuff like that. I'm actually going to be flying to Combo Breaker in Chicago in two days, um, flying out there on Wednesday. So that's going to be good fun, entering five tournaments that I'm not practicing for. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have time. Um, it's a vacation for me. I don't care how I do. Um, but I'm commentating four of them, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can catch Combo Breaker on all kinds of social media this weekend. Uh, we're recording this as of... Uh, 23rd of May so this this I don't know if it's actually out by then but you know if not check the VODs it'll be on YouTube um, speaking of YouTube you can find me on youtube.com forward slash pndknm uh, you can take the same name on Twitch where my brother Mustard does full time Twitch streaming and really that's it like, if you like old fighting games and you like Mortal Kombat in particular then you know we, we really try to be the place to be so we do a lot of content on the history of characters in their competitive realm um, various mk games and, and how they were back then when they were actually competitive a lot of people don't realize that these mortal kombat games had competitive followings even back in their prime time how big or small they might have been always a story that's worth telling so oh yeah uh, try and keep that competitive history of mortal kombat alive is the mission i, I really enjoyed your breakdown of the speed running history of uh, mortal kombat mythologies which is uh, oh yeah 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 re- i mean it's an interesting game anyway because i remember i remember at the time that game coming out being like wow a mortal kombat platforming game I'm in for it. And then the game was, you know, what it was. People didn't particularly love it. Um, but the speedrunning aspect of it is really, really fascinating. Yeah, the Sagat chap that's got the world record, his run is, you'd have to be mad to go for it. <laughs> the amount of insanely hard tricks he does is like, I, I, 
I wouldn't be able to have the patience to refine it and then get it in a run where you could lose like half an hour or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, commendable for sure. Shouts to Sagat, world record holder for mythologies. Uh, and you and your brother as well have been playing through Multiverses recently, the new Warner Brothers game, and which I'm actually like, it looks a lot of fun because with, I'm pretty sure when news came out of it last year, a lot of people were like, apparently it's not going to be very good and this and the other. But now that it's out and people who are playing it, like, damn, this is actually much more fun than I was expecting it to be. It's oozing with personality, <laughs> which is what you want. You know, if it's yeah. a game full of childhood characters, you want it to have um, all the voices and all the all the style and the visuals and how they've been able to take all these characters and put them into one game in a one visual style that works. I, I don't know how they've done that. Um, it plays quite fun. I, I, I am not much of a platform fighter, but I have had a good time with it. Um, you know, I, I'm not exactly going to go pro in it. You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's really enjoyable. And the big thing is that the emphasis on two versus two means that my brother and I can just play it and have fun um, and just sort of naturally synergize. So uh, that's really good. They have already put a substantial amount of support into it. Evo is going to be the host for a WB-backed multiverses open bracket tournament with a $100,000 prize pool. Wow. Top 32 teams get paid. Really? Yeah, we esports now, dude. We <laughs> what the hell? Top thirty-two get paid. When does that happen? But no, I think they're going to be supporting it a great deal if they're doing it. I mean, they probably want it to do well at Evo as well, right? Because it's fantastic advertisement, especially after what has been a rather successful closed alpha. So, well, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again, and I'm sure we'll have you back on before the uh, the series is done. Thank you again. Cheers, man. Take care. Thank you so much again to Ketchup for taking the time to chat with me on Under Consultation. And thank you so much for listening. You all rule. We are on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram. And you can send us an email with your Series 5 feedback to feedback at underconsultation.com. We also have a Discord, which is a wonderful, thriving community. And there's a link to that in the show notes. And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod, where you get a whole buttload of perks, including next week's episode, one week early and ad-free, which will see the return of Ash, which means the return of actually good audio from both of us, because he is better at this than I am. But until then, we will see you in seven days' time for 1996, no less. Take care, everyone.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.